0: Morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. I guess I should say not travelers because that's where we all are right now. Um, but something that would be fairly useful in your um, solitude is today's show with an array of um, liqu- liqu- liquid, <laughs> liquid, liquid, <laughs> liquid refreshments. Yeah. We're going to start um, by talking and to the the Frey Ranch Distillery, straight bourbon whiskey.
1: Not most unusual operation I've See, It seemed to me. I mean, who, who in Utah makes booze? Well, and not only you're you're, have you're a, not even allowed to drink it, though.
2: The whiskey farm.
1: It's been it's been the same family for five generations or something like that. Right. And I, I, and I'll tell you what. It's really good stuff. It's great stuff. <laughs> to to, it's really, really excellent stuff. You should, back. <laughs> uh, you, you should, you should find, you should find out where in your neighbourhood you can get some, because you'll really enjoy it if you enjoy bourbon, and I'm sure you do. So, here's Mr. Frey.
0: Well, I mean, I, I am envious of our next guest, um, Colby and Ashley Frey. Uh, because of where they live and what they do and their lifestyle, um, tell us about it this uh, Colby, could you just give us a little background? You grew up on this ranch
2: yep yep so we're um, we're sixty miles east of Reno, and all of our water on the farm here comes from the Lake Tahoe watershed um, We're in a place called Fallon, which is the oasis of Nevada. There's a lot of green fields, lots of water. We're really fortunate to live here and our particular ranch is a very old ranch. My, my, uh, and we grow all of our own ingredients for our whiskey. And so we're right here in the middle of this big, beautiful green, green farm.
0: What well, says here that the, uh, the Frey family has been farming that and it's huge, that, uh, ranch since 1854. Uh, Yeah, Nevada didn't even
2: become a a state until 1864, and we've been continuously farming it here in northern Nevada, um, you know, since 10 years before it was even considered a state. And what
0: were you farming?
2: Um, Everything, and so anything um, from wheat, rye, barley, corn, um, you know, alfalfa, different types of grasses, um, you know, for for feed, and... um, so yeah, we've been in northern Nevada for a long time and that the importance of that is is we really know how to grow crops in our specific climate, in this atmosphere, and this soil. And and the knowledge passed on from generation to generation has really helped us to, to grow premium quality ingredients for our whiskies.
0: Now, I mean how about Ashley? Ashley, did you grow up farming as well?
3: No, I didn't. I grew up in northern Nevada. Um, born in Carson City, which is our state's capital, and I, I did not grow up in a, a family with ties to agriculture. So.
2: Uh huh. So
0: that was a change for it's you. It's new huh? to me. You what?
3: It's new to me.
0: Well, you must have loved him a lot to just change your lifestyle for a ranch lifestyle. You, it is very different. <laughs> you, you could have made your your fortune being like the pioneer woman. Do, do you know her? <laughs> Do you know her, the redhead who's? Uh,
1: she's in. She's in Texas.
0: She's in Texas, and yes. she's married oh, a head. rancher,
2: oh,
0: and she's built a career for blogging, and she's now spokesperson for Walmart, and she's making a fortune.
1: Wow! <laughs> yeah. well, she's called the pioneer. She calls herself the pioneer woman. Yeah. Now, now uh, here's a question, a fundamental question: how How come you got to settle land in? Northern Nevada. I mean, I, I know about the the Sooners in Oklahoma, and the people who went on the Oregon Trail all the all the way to Portland. But nor, northern Nevada is new to me, and uh, I'm wondering. I mean, how how come you got the land in the first place? So
2: in um, 1854, Colonel Reese. Uh, had eight people, so my my it was the first eight deeded properties in Nevada, and my family was one of them. And Colonel Reese granted the property to settlers, and um, and and so that's that that was how it how it happened, I guess. Yeah, was it Native American
0: but, that, land? Were they was it Native American land?
2: Um, you know, I have, I'm not sure. Interesting. I yep. think that
3: um. Colby's grandfather eventually, um, really started, uh, farming with the promise of all the water here from the snow melt and, um, right. the Lake Tahoe watershed. It was very promising and they could grow high quality crops with the water.
1: Yeah, where, where did they originate, Colby?
3: You know, I think, the,
2: uh, ri- uh, you know, there's several, uh, uh, intersections there, but my family originally came from the Germany-French border, um, and uh, settled here. Some of my family settled in Louisiana, and then some of it made it all the way out here to, to Nevada.
0: Wow. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And um, you, you build the, your product as, um, or your place as a, a ground-to-glass whiskey farm. Now, I mean, that's, I've never heard that term before. And I mean, how many other whiskey farms are there?
2: You know, I'm not 100% sure. I think there's very few. Um, We do everything right here on site. Um, We grow all of our own grain. We malt on site, distill, age, bottle. Everything's done right here from the ground to the glass. And when we grow crops, we grow them specifically for whiskey. So we grow them for for a specific purpose, which means we can tailor them to make the best possible quality. And, you know, there's a saying, um, you know, you can't make, good wine out of bad grapes. Well right. it's that way with anything you do. And so we take the best quality grains and transform those into really high quality whiskeys and, and the better inputs we have, the better outputs we can have. And so we're really we're really fortunate and so when somebody asks what are you growing over there we say that's whiskey, you know, that's what we're growing. <laughs> it's as if it's grain for whiskey. So
1: now that's, we call ourselves the whiskey farm. But here's here's the funny thing, I mean you didn't start out growing grains to make whiskey i mean no that, that, that's fa- that's a fairly recent phenomenon and we're w- wondering how you got the idea
2: yeah so we just we wanted to vertically integrate and create something out of our crops and we feel like whiskey is the best expression that we can show our, our grains to and so you know as farmers we're really proud of what we do but a lot of times it just gets watered down when you sell it on the open market. You don't really know where it went, what was done with it, you know. And we feel like whiskey is the truest expression of of, of showcasing our grains, you know, in the best way possible.
1: Now you call it you call it bourbon, but the the people from Kentucky, oh
2: yeah, <laughs> say, say,
1: say it has to be made in Kentucky, otherwise it can't be bourbon.
2: Well, that's, that's kind of a myth because so to be called bourbon, it has to be 51% or more corn, right. it has to be um, put in a barrel and no more than 125 proof, distilled to more, no more than 160 proof, um, it has to be put in a new American oak or a, a new barrel, and it has to be made in the United States. So anybody okay. in the United States can make bourbon, but... Um, you know, ninety percent of the bourbon or more comes from Kentucky, but it doesn't have to.
1: So, that, so they're all liars, like Mitch McConnell. Huh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, saw, I go back to this thing. I mean, here you are going through the the life. You're a fifth generation rancher. You go through that whole lifestyle, and then what? Some you woke up one morning and said, to "Ashley, let's make barrel aged whiskey." <laughs>
3: I think that um, we had always known that our our grains were such a high quality and we felt like they were destined for more than just cattle feed. And the best expression of our grains um, and the highest, most value-added product that we could produce is whiskey. And and it was something that we were always passionate about and we knew that we could do it in a really good quality um, way. You must have had
0: a very large learning curve, though, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So how did you go about doing that?
3: So we had done some research on um, a still producer from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. They're called Vendome. And we had identified um, that we wanted whiskey to be our main product. And we purchased a uh, brand-new still that is, um, and Colby can kind of expand on it. It has a, a large stripping column and then also a pot still.
2: We, we wanted the best quality more than um, to produce quantity, and so we have a continuous still but also a pot still because we feel like you can get a lot of quantity out of a, a continuous still, and but you can't get as good a quality, and so we run everything through a stripping still, and then we redistill it with a pot still so that we can get, Quality and that was the most important thing. Everything we do here on the farm, um, we do in a way that encourages quality, not necessarily what's the easiest or the cheapest. We do whatever it takes to get the, to do it the best. And so, um, ever since the beginning, we said if it costs a little more money, takes a little more time, whatever it takes, we're going to do whatever we can to get the best quality. And so, with Vendome, we designed. Um, they they helped us design or, or designed a still. Um, specifically for our needs, and and it really um, it makes great products.
1: So, so when when you call something a stripping still, is that something like like I would call a column still?
2: Yeah. Yep. So it's a big column, and it 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 um, is a continuous still, and it's kind of a continuous operation. And then we re-distill. Everything we do goes through the pot-distill eventually after oh, yeah. it goes through the, the, the big column still.
1: Now, do you, do you also blend it? I mean, I remember when we, were, when we were in the north of Scotland, and we went to the Glenfiddich Scotch distillery and did a tour and all that kind of stuff, and, and we said, now, how, how does the blender know when he's got the right blend? And they said, he just knows.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, all of our whiskey comes from our distillery. And in Scotland, a lot of places blend several different distilleries' whiskey together to yes, make their yes, product.
1: Yes, yes they so do. So all yes. of ours
2: are a single um, distillery because we we want to have total control over everything. And so, um, you know, from growing the grains to, to bottling it, everything, we have total control over everything be- in between. And so... That's right. When Ashley's in the tasting room, she tells everybody, um, none of the ingredients in that bottle have ever left our possession until you take it home. And so that's kind of our, our whole motto. We don't want to have any loss of control over any part of it.
1: Now, now you, you have a, use an expression that I've heard before, but, but I'm not sure what it means. It's called two, two row barley. Sure. What, 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 does that, what, does the, what does the two row mean? So two row
2: malting or two row barley means when barley grows, there's several different varieties and types of barley. Two row barley has two rows of seed or grain that grows at the top of the plant. Now there's also six row, and when six row barley grows, it has six rows of seed at the top.
1: Okay, A lot uh, of times
2: six row barley will out yield two row barley in the field. Uh-huh. But it doesn't create a, as good of quality for malting, which is what we're trying to do with it, and so that's why we grow two-year, two-row barley because it's better quality for malting, even though it it we it doesn't quite yield as much in the field as a six-row variety of barley. Okay, but so it, um, you know anything we do in the field, we we constantly sacrifice quantity for quality, and. And that's you know, that's the whole idea of our distillery is that we want to make the best quality products. And so two row malting barley is is the best type of barley that you can you can grow for malting.
0: You you have engraved on each bottle in the bottom, be good to the land the land will be good to you.
2: Yep. So that's that's our motto and as farmers we have to take really good care of the the, the soil, our environment, everything else because our entire future relies on it so if we don't take care of the soil or our environment or 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 our land then we don't have a future and so uh, my my uh, forefathers passed on the the ranch to me and i want to pass it on to my kids and so i got to take extra good care of it and and it'll take extra good care of me in return so that's kind of our, our motto and it's the bottom—it's engraved in the bottom of our bottle because it's our foundation to our whole, our whole life, basically.
0: Well, I mean, it's kind of amazing. You seem to be standing out uniquely in this. It's, um, it's not a niche because I mean the potential is huge, but you know what I mean. Um, It's—is there some reason why it's ninety proof? Which I mean, the first slug I had of
1: it, I said, "Woo!" <laughs>
2: yeah, and it was strong.
1: <laughs> but I can handle yeah. it. How Peter yeah, can handle, well, Peter and, adores it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And, and everybody has different preferences. But, you know, to be bourbon has to be 80, per, 80 proof at least, 40% alcohol. Yeah. We really felt like it showcased the actual whiskey a little better at 90 proof. Um, and a lot of the, the uh, seasoned whiskey drinkers, me included, like it even at higher proofs than that sometimes. And really? So, um, you <laughs> know, it was kind of a good a – good, um, you know kind of a, a it's a, it's great at 90 proof
1: so some of the top producers of whiskey in Scotland are, are making available what they call cask strength which is which yep. is which is high, high than, higher than 45 and 90 and I, I i i had some in our local state store once and my mother was coming to visit so i bought a bottle <laughs> And I gave her some, and she fell over practically. (laughs) Yeah. But you—you remember that? You probably remember the story about uh, the maker's mark, which had always been eighty-six, and then they decided to change it and make it only eighty, and there was a rebellion of all their customers.
2: Oh yeah, yep, and that's it. And, And it's amazing how much how different whiskey tastes at different proofs, and so. Um you know, we really felt like ninety proof our 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 whiskey was really um right where we wanted it to be
0: yeah well, i mean it it has a great deal of of uh, flavor and um it's it's ninety proof but it's not um i don't know it's not harsh i don't have a very good whiskey vocabulary, but it's not harsh. I guess sure. is that because it's aged so well, or the products, the ingredients. Yeah, so I good? think
3: that it's um, the age factor. I think it's the good quality of the grains, and it's the distillation technique. Um, everything just really came together with the product, and we're really pleased with where it landed.
2: What I really like about it is the long finish. Um, sometimes I drink whiskey, and I love it. I say I want this to to last longer, and you know, you have this really long finish. And sometimes I just think. Man, I, I want this to stop now, you know. And so I really like ours because it has this nice finish that, that lasts in my mouth for, for a while.
0: Now, uh, do you have um, – I know that you released it it's for sale in um, Nevada. Uh, do you have other uh, markets as well?
2: Yeah, so right now we're only in northern Nevada. Uh, I'm sorry, we're in all of Nevada right now. And our next stop is going to be California uh, in the next few months. So,
0: wow, that's a big state. You know, one of
2: the things about whiskey is we aged ours for an average of five years, so we're limited to sell today what we made five years ago, and so we're you know we're slowly every year we produced a little bit more, but and we'll slowly gradually increase our distribution area every year as our our production goes up.
0: Of course, that was the uh, the. the 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 problem with um I don't know if you call it a problem, with Pappy Van Winkle is that couldn't produce enough.
2: Yeah,
1: well they can. Yeah, they aged it they for a
2: long time, and they didn't know that there was going to be such a big market for it, so they 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 didn't make enough. Quite a while ago. Yeah,
1: we we met we met Julian at a, at a cocktail party where the 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 only drink on available was Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> what a, what a terrible fate that is. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like a good party. <laughs> it was a good party. <laughs> but here's a, a different question: we haven't we haven't talked about the barrel, but but the new oak, the charred new oak barrel has something to do with the quality of the whiskey. Also, Absolutely, right? and
2: that's one of the things about bourbon is it has to be put in a new oak barrel, and the reason for that is that just ensures that you get quality. There's no corners cut, or there, you know people trying to save money by putting it in a used barrel. And so all of our whiskey, including our non-bourbon whiskeys, goes in um, new American white oak barrels, which has a char four. Now, they also char the inside of the barrels. And what happens is during the aging process, the whiskey expands during hot summers and it contracts during cold winters. And it pushes it into this charcoal layer that's created by, by charring the bar- barrels. And that char layer has charcoal, and charcoal at, acts as a natural filter to filter out the impurities. It and so sure does, yeah. As the whiskey's aging, it's getting filtered by the charcoal, and it's getting a lot of the flavor from the oak. So whiskey's is 100% clear when it goes into the wood. It's oh, sure, crystal yes, clear. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then what gives it all of its color and, and a lot of its flavor is the, the oak barrel. And so that's why aging is so important. And we didn't want to release anything um, before its time. But we're really fortunate here in Nevada that we have a, a, a great aging climate where we have extreme cold winters and hot summers, where it can age and it can go through the seasons and it can really expand during the hot hot summers and contract during the cold winters, and so we're really we really feel like our whiskey ages um, perfect in our in our climate here.
1: Now, did did you say just a second ago? I thought I heard you say your other whiskeys. So, so you make you make more than just the bourbon that we've been trying.
2: Yeah. So we make about uh, about eighty percent of our production is bourbon. We make fifteen percent rye, which is not even out yet. We haven't released it, and then five percent other products that we kind of play around with, like uh, straight corn whiskey, wheat whiskey, uh, oat whiskey, single malts, uh, all kinds of other kind of fun stuff that we do. Boy, I'd
1: I'd love to I'd love to get some of your rye. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking I the same thing. <laughs> rye, rye's yeah. making a big rye's making a big comeback, I guess, all over the country. In my mother's
0: generation, there were people at parties that my family gave where people specifically only drank rye. I mean rye.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then it went out of fashion, and now it's coming back. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, we have we have two things to, to mention still. Uh one you say you do give tours of of your um distillery on Saturdays?
2: Yep, so we're open every Saturday from noon to four. Um we have free tastings and tours uh of the, the distillery here.
0: Okay. And then the other thing, the final question is, how how does anybody get it now? <laughs>
3: So we're available in over 300 locations in Nevada. It's growing every day. And like Colby mentioned, we are um, launching in Northern California, and, and our uh, bourbon is available through our tasting room.
0: Oh, so you can buy it in the tasting can, room. Can you,
1: can you buy it over the Internet?
3: Uh, no, not right now. We are trying to work with a third-party retailer that has the proper license
1: right, um, to right. ship
3: to all 50 states. But it's a tax issue.
1: Um, sure, sure. I'm cannot, sure it is. As
3: the ship.
1: right? That that's a, that's a that became a big issue relatively recently in in New York State, and a, oh, a couple, wow, of, yeah, a couple of leading. They,
3: um, they really cracked down on it.
1: That sure did. Any, anyway, let's hope they don't crack down on you because we we're going to have we going to have some of this in the like liquor cabinet all the time.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. it's Colby and Ashley Frey, and um, it's. It's absolutely delighted to know that you exist, to put it that way, and that there is such a thing as a whiskey farm. And we sh- certainly have, can add our praise to the praise that others have, have given to your product. Um Good to know you, and uh much success. What are we, what well, are thank we, you so much. We really
2: appreciate yeah, you both. Appreciate
1: what, it. what are we going to do when we run out? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we got plenty more coming in the pipeline here. Okay, you two. Enjoy it. And all the best yeah, to both we of appreciate you.
2: appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. Okay, well, that went very well. I mean, yeah, thank
2: you, guys. thank yeah.
1: you. Okay, well, if, you, if you've had enough of bourbon whiskey, now's the time to go for a white spirit made in Porygon. Oh, uh, yes. So after the break, we'll go right there. Podcasting services
5: for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: We're talking to uh, Jason Dyke, uh, who is the CEO of. Well, I find it a very wonderful vodka, and I'm a vodka drinker. Headwind Vodka, uh, out of Oregon. Um, Jason, let's start with the name. Why is it called Headwind Vodka?
4: Oh, first and foremost, thanks for having me. It's definitely a pleasure to be here, and th- thank you for the early praise on, on, on the liquid. Much appreciated. Oh, yeah. Well, the liquid's good. Great. Yeah, the thought behind the naming is that you're sort of pacing your own path, meaning that you know, you're going in your own direction while everybody else is going against you. While well, there's all these, all these different people saying no, you're saying yes. You're pushing on through, and it just some perseverance.
0: And it's sort of like in sailing.
4: There you go. yes, yes.
1: Okay, going
4: against the tide. Correct.
1: Now, I was puzzled over something. So let's get this out of the way at the beginning. I I don't understand. I understand six times distillation. I mm-hmm. don't understand two times filter fil- filtration with Oregon water. Seems sure. Good, seems yeah,
4: I'd be happy to, to go, go into that. Go, go ahead
1: and explain. Oh, of
4: course. Yeah. So. Our filtration is very unique to the Pacific Northwest. I don't want to come out with a product that's just, hey, we're you know, eight times distilled, still, ten times still, purest of still, of the water. You know, everybody has those kind of common selling stories that really aren't tangible. What we did is that it is twice filtered, but the last filtration is actually through Pacific Northwest timber. And to be extremely specific, it's actually hazelnut, tusk and charcoal. And what that does is that we Effectively, remove that ethanol bite that vodka typically has. You know, there's usually that kind of that vodka burn or what have you. So, what the Pacific Northwest timber does and, and the charcoal, it removes that to make it more smooth
1: well, and no, more, where, more where, do, where does the water come in? Um, the, the
4: water comes from Portland.
1: But, but, but how, how is it used? I mean. Well, he's filtering it through wood. wood. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yes, you got it.
1: So, so where does yep, the water right. come in? I, I'm still puzzled.
4: In, in downtown Portland, where it's in Portland, is one of the purest of, of all purest water throughout the country.
1: Yeah, I
0: don't know why. Yeah. I haven't noticed that, actually, because we, we used to spend a lot of time in Oregon, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, we well, covered nice. a lot of the restaurants there and the, the special events and stuff. We okay. know a lot of the chefs.
4: Right. Yeah. Is the really... Is a taste difference. I'm not just giving you lip service, because I've lived across the country. Uh, um, For a time, I lived in Florida. And when you compare the Florida water to the the water found in in Portland, it's night and day. It it truly is.
0: So the the water, I mean, Pittsburgh, you wouldn't want our water. (laughs) That's for sure.
4: Um, Uh, Yeah, I can't. Can't speak, for, can't speak for
0: Pittsburgh water. Yeah, now, Boyd and Blair like it, or Blair and Boyd or whatever it is. Um, anyhow, did you start this whole vodka company, or are you just running it?
4: Um, I started it. A little bit about my background, I've been in the spirits industry probably since the mid-2000s or so, and I had the a, had a privilege to work with some some of the industry giants such as Diageo did some central regional marketing on Chicago for them. Oh, uh, yeah. On their beer side. Yeah, we, we deal then, with
0: them a lot, yeah.
4: I would imagine, yeah. They're <laughs> quite, quite a powerful company. Yeah. And then from there, I wor- I worked for uh, Bacardi USA in Coral Gables, Florida.
1: Okay, and Bacardi. And what,
4: what I did with them is that I, was, I did new product development for the rum side. So I introduced, geez, probably a dozen, dozen different rums uh, – New brands, line extensions, and so on and so forth. So, having that new product development background, I took that to um, to Oregon, and where I worked with a a local Oregon-based company, and introduced a whole you know, different line of of spirits for them as well.
1: Well, there are so whole, I mean, sir, there are, there are a whole lot of distilleries in Portland, Oregon. Yeah,
4: there there are quite a few. They're, yes, there are. Uh, <laughs> yes, there are. Yeah. So. Yeah, so my background is specifically in marketing and new product development.
0: Okay, very good. Um, no, did you have a goal in mind? I mean, you had you, what were you aiming for Not, with this?
4: Well, no, very good question. A lot of craft brands only speak to the consumers in that specific zip code. They're rather myopic when you go outside that zip code. Just really have a lack of interest, um, shall I say? So, I want to come up with a brand that one. This doesn't speak to a specific zip code. It speaks to a region as a whole. So that that was one. Two, with my marketing background, I know that when you're introducing a new brand with relatively small marketing budgets, you have to have outstanding packaging. And I believe that a lot of small brands sort of ignore that aspect. So with that, um, I put together this super premium package. And lastly, the liquid and the price point. Um, I've been working with a local distiller in Portland. In fact, I've worked with quite a few of them. We came up with all these different liquid versions until we landed on one that we're really excited about. And then the price point. The price point usually craft brands can go from the upper twenties, low low thirties, and our price point is right around hovering around twenty one ninety nine. So, we're trying to make it affordable luxury.
0: Yeah, it's very very attractive presentation the bottle and the label
4: thank you yeah um yeah a little background on the label um yeah it's a, it's a very expensive packaging because i am unaware of any other spirits brand that uses three different paper labels so each each one of the paper is different the main main label is actually made out of wood it's not paper it's real wood so yeah. each yeah, so each one has a different feel different textures different grains but from there, there's an individual bottle number, individual batch number, and the individual date. So that also ties into the.
0: Well, you're the, moving the around. Bus. Hold on a second. You're moving away from the microphone. Stick oh, close. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's okay. And so with the
4: pa- yeah, so with the packaging, so it's a real wood package. It's actually birch wood. So it's different textures, different grains, different feels to it. And also includes the individual bottle number, batch number, and date. Yeah, so it uh, looks impressive.
0: It looks really impressive, yes.
4: Yeah, so what they were trying to tie it back to the Pacific Northwest.
0: Uh-huh, okay. That, yeah, okay, I got it. Um, uh, very independent and um, authentic, and yeah, I got it, I think. Yep, great. So... um, can you do just a, a one-spirit company?
4: <laughs> well, uh, well, I believe Tito's is doing a, a pretty good job with that. So, yes, yes, I, I definitely believe you can. But right now, we're just trying to get new distribution. We're in roughly 10 states or so, and we hope to add at, at least another five five or six over the next few
1: months. Okay, so so, you, so you're still in the the branding game?
4: Yes, oh, without a doubt, yes.
1: I don't know how we found out about you. I don't remember. I'm glad, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we did. Whoever it was, I'm glad we did. No,
4: yeah. no, Thank you.
1: I'm, I'm still puzzling over this filtration thing. <laughs> 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 see, you know see, that. I, mean, see, I don't
2: get into things like that. It seems
1: to me that if you put water in it, then it would dilute it, and that wouldn't be the objective. Well,
4: again, with the whole filtration, we're trying to... Uh, the mm-hmm. real goal is the... Remove that
1: ethanol an hour. cleared up, right? Right. Correct. Right. Yes. But the, and again,
4: that's not that we feel that we've we've effectively done.
1: But what what's the vodka you like? The one the French one that you like so much. I don't know. <laughs> the vodka you that you order when you're ordering a I don't remember. Uh,
0: it doesn't matter to me.
1: My palate has so
0: expanded with all these brands and uh, you were involved with rum i mean that's probably the biggest difference <laughs> in my in my whole life is the changes that have occurred in rum you
1: oh know? yeah i mean
0: it's oh, hard, yeah. i could i couldn't believe that you could have sipping rum
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i know how the rum category is to kind of make it go a little more upstream i know um, Bacardi and a host of other brands they've introduced Thirty and forty dollar expressions. Right. Just for that right. simple fact that you said more, we, of, a, more of a sipping rum. We interviewed
1: okay. we interviewed somebody who works in that space right now. Okay. And and guess what? His last name is Bacardi. Yeah, he's not related. <laughs> well, he's distantly yeah, related. Yeah, I mean he's distantly related. <laughs> Very nice. But he, but he but he's not but he's not marketing them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can, okay. I can't remember the name of the brand now, but it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff.
0: But well, he's from oh, Puerto Rico.
1: And have you have you thought of moving on to the gin space as well?
4: Um, it's crossed my mind, but right now my hands are my hands are pretty full with this brand and getting it off the ground and you know, launching it across the country. I
0: mean, what uh, what uh, is your biggest competitor? I mean, who are you out to uh, to topple?
4: That's a good question. Each market is different, meaning that I'm going after the craft brands in that specific market. So in Oregon is one brand, and Washington is a different brand, and in Kentucky is a complete, completely different brand. So I'm going after the leading craft spirit in that specific market. And nine times out of ten, when we do taste tests, you know, our distributors and retail partners, they lean towards us because of the taste and also the... the um, the price point
1: but when you say you're going after them you're going after them in a marketing sense not correct. Not, yes. not 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 in not in not necessarily in terms of a product like theirs no you totally
4: right. absolutely correct
1: toppling them <laughs> toppling them with
0: tipple. <laughs> that's right i couldn't resist that sorry
1: hey hey, hey, know don't, don't don't laugh. Yeah,
4: and, and again, so much so good. What's really helped most recently is how we um, received the gold medal at the San Francisco World Spirits.
1: Oh boy! Um, well, that's really something.
4: Yes, yeah, because there's only a, only a handful of vintners that receive such an honor.
1: Yeah, you know, that's probably how I heard of you. To tell you the truth, th- those guys are. There so you go. Those guys are very that's particular.
4: Yes, yes, they are because you know, they're. I'm sure you're aware. There are so many different competitions out there. But you know, this is really viewed as one of the most prestigious and well-respected um, in North America. So we were very excited to receive such an honor.
1: Well, we, we we were relieved we got a bottle sample from you, and there's a particular reason for that. Because guess what? Our, our state liquor stores are closed.
4: <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I heard that. I was very very surprised.
1: Well,
0: they're supposed to be able to. You're there supposed is. to be able to buy from the special store they set up. There, there except nobody's been able to get any.
1: There's, there's really. Oh a, my goodness. There's an online store, but okay. you would, but you can never connect to it. Yeah. Wow. So
0: people are really mad.
1: <laughs> I would imagine because I I believe that's
4: the only state where the stores are are closed. The liquor
0: stores. Yeah, I mean, because most people view it as a um, necessity. <laughs> <laughs> <Unfortunately>, <laughs>
1: yeah. Fortunately, Boyd and Blair ships. Uh, right. Exactly. Funnily enough, they ship they ship from about eight miles away. Yeah.
0: Oh, so, wow. Uh, but now it's um, so. Uh, are you um, locked up in 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 uh, Texas or not?
4: Oh, um yes. Um yeah, we are under kinda the, the house quarantine. Correct. Yeah, so we we really don't go out I kinda go out once a week for, for groceries, but that's 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 really about it. And I have I have two young children and they're both kinda at each other's throats right now. Oh yeah, so,
0: well I know we have we have <laughs> two grandkids that one is a soccer Maven. Okay. And he, he, his father keeps taking him out to, to practice, but he can't. a substitute for the team. But but his favorite right.
1: his favorite his favorite thing is bugging his sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I relate to that. 100%. You Yeah, You probably you probably got exactly that going on, right? That's right. But
4: but our fa- our family dog is just loving the situation because everybody's home, everybody's playing with him. He probably goes on half a dozen walks a day. So oh, there you go. <laughs> From his perspective, it's all good.
0: Well, no, they said that uh, dogs cannot catch the coronavirus. But, you know, they just had um, a, a tiger in the Bronx Zoo come down with the I, coronavirus.
4: That is crazy. I just, I, I saw that as well this morning. Yeah, that's, wow.
1: And
0: a bunch of the other ones are sick. They're, they're not testing wow. positive yet.
1: What they need is a, they need a drink bowl filled with... <laughs> vodka, Edwin, vodka. There, there, that's what you go, they go. <laughs> there you go. Well, we
4: won't turn down any paying customers. Well, that's well, good to me.
1: Well, we, we we wish you the very best. Yeah, your,
4: Jason, with your uh, adventure, lots of
0: luck, and and more medals in your future.
4: Thank you so much. It's definitely a pleasure to speak with you both.
1: And good good luck with the Armageddon or whatever it is we're dealing with just now. <laughs> Thank you.
4: All the best to you and your family as well.
1: Thank you. Bye, Jason
5: bye Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. For our final segment, we're
0: going to uh, check out The rum options here, Um, our guest is named Bacardi, but he's not like the Bacardi, rum Bacardi. He's a family, but not not the immediate family. Anyhow, um, his, his rum is a different name, Ron del Baralito rum, and he's got a lot to say about how it's made.
1: It comes with stars all the way from two to five, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> give give you an idea that I think it's pretty good stuff. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy it, too. It's actually good. Very good. Uh, let's, let's, go, let's go to the track. Now. Okay.
0: Well, we were thrilled to hear we were going to be talking to Eduardo Bacardi, because we were talking about rum, uh, specifically Roland del rum del Baravito rum. Uh, Welcome to On the Menu, Eduardo.
5: Thank you very much for having me.
0: From Puerto Rico? Ah.
5: That's right.
0: And, um, we wanted to, just, just start. I, I, I will tell you, by the way, that I'm sitting here with a bottle. Uh, a bottle. There, there's maybe two inches left in this bottle that,
1: <laughs> Peter has not drunk uh, yeah, yet. Yeah, but, but Eduardo was smart. He sent two. Oh,
0: really? <laughs> <laughs> so, you so, mean there's still one left? There's another one. Oh, good. I'll get to. T- <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> so the, we've been interviewing a number of rum companies. Uh, it seems to have taken on a whole new, sophisticated turn in what the product is, uh, and uh, we we uh, the sipping rum. You see, was something uh, I recall my aunt drinking rum and Coke. <laughs> you know, it, absolutely yeah and, uh, and yeah. She, like,
1: she and he wasn't the right if she didn't have ron rico 150 proof
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
5: she, she That's a,
1: right she was she was a she was a, fe- she was a feisty old lady
0: she was she's a feisty old lady and uh, and we weren't allowed to put the rum anywhere near the gas stove <laughs>
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so but anyhow um i asked you to start with um we're, we're going to talk about the company itself, because we've been interviewing people who are making rum from all kinds of things all over the globe. But you are like the the real source. You're in Puerto Rico, and that's actually where rum is associated with the place, right?
5: Absolutely. Yeah, Puerto Rico is, is known as the rum capital of the world. Um, doesn't not necessarily in terms of origins but definitely in terms of putting it on the map so to speak so definitely uh, I think it's the first thing that comes to mind when traditionally people think about rum and we're we're very proud to be the oldest rum from Puerto Rico uh, doing it very much in the same way and in the same place for now hundred and forty years with from de
0: now you you are a Bacardi, but you you pointed out that you were a member of the Bacardi family, which is pretty much synonymous with rum, right?
5: Pretty much. So you know, I'm I'm a member of the family. Um, it, as a company, it has nothing to do with Bajelito, per se. So in terms of ownership, in terms of the corporate structure, nothing to do. I just happen to be a member of of the family. And yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think I think you know, as I mentioned. When people think of rum, they think of Puerto Rico, and more specifically, they think of Bacardi rum, which, you know, over the last few decades has definitely helped to bring the category to the the place it is. But as you mentioned earlier as well, I think what a, a new trend we're seeing is definitely a sophisticated consumer, which is starting to trend away from the white rum and Coke or white rum mixed with something sweet to now... Using it in more elegant cocktails, drinking it neat on the rocks, sipping it, so that whole aged component has really, really bloomed over the last couple of years, which mm-hmm. is great for for Vajelito, given that all of our products are aged products since day one. So there, there's no white rum, which is a little bit untraditional for for being a Puerto Rican rum, which are known for their clear, white, uh, low aged rums.
0: Yeah, what uh, is that? Is that because is of the aging? Is that because of the aging that it takes on color of the aging?
5: Absolutely. So, so rum itself aging takes on color. Um, what what rum has become known as is for clear rum. Now, rum has color when it is aged, and all Puerto Rican rum is aged, including Bacardi, including all the other brands. But what they have done is they remove the color just for the sake of, of creating that sense of uh, of of white rum so to speak now our rums if you, I know you mentioned you have a little bit left and hopefully another bottle you can take a look <laughs> at they're very amber in color and that comes from the you know, extreme aging I assume what you have in front of you is a bottle of three stars that's aged up to ten years so ten years interacting with the wood of the barrel you see a lot of those elements uh, start to come out in the color and it really creates that really nice amber hue which you see in a lot of, a lot of brown spirits a lot of aged spirits
1: uh, we, we were just talking not, not too long ago to someone who, who who makes bourbon, but they make it in northern Nevada of all places. But they, they said, and I, I thought that I knew this, and maybe I need to be reprogrammed, but I thought that the color in the bourbon comes from the casks, comes from the inside of the casks, in which, which, in which, which gets soaked is. up in the bourbon. Now, is this the same thing that happens with your? Yes. Okay.
5: Absolutely. So, so the distilled product um, is clear nature. Now, that dark hue comes from the cask that it's aged in, and in in the case of bourbon, I know that. Uh, there's very specific regulations in terms of what kind of barrels they're able to use. I believe the regulation that they all have to be new uh, charred barrels that have not been used before, yes. which is very standard for newer industries like bourbon, which you know the, the regulation has been more strict. With rum, one of the beauties is, and again, uh, and I think you touched on this earlier, it's such a diverse spirit in terms of every single Country in the world that makes rum makes it in their unique way. They have their unique uh, techniques in doing so. Um, in, in our case, our rums are aged in barrels that previously held sherry. So they previously held Oloroso sherry from uh, the Oloroso region in Spain. We bring them over and use those to age our rum. Obviously, it gives it a very unique taste, a uh, very unique profile and helps with that coloring that you see comes out very almost uh reddish brown very golden hue.
1: Yeah. now, now the, the people who make scotch in in Scotland they they use used barrels too in, interestingly enough they they recently have been experimenting with things like sherry but traditionally traditionally and I, I don't know. it's because Scotsmen were cheap. Uh, we suggest that that's the reason, but they were actually using used bourbon barrels. Yep. And and b- used bourbon barrels being being relatively available, since there's no such thing. There's really no no such thing in the bourbon world as a used barrel because you don't. If you're making bourbon, you, you're not allowed to to use an old barrel.
5: Exactly. No, and 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 that's uh that's the. Uh you know, one of the beauties of this brand that, uh, like you mentioned, sherry has become very popular in terms of a lot of brands will will finish in a sherry barrel. So they'll age for a few years in a normal barrel, maybe an ex-bourbon or, or ex-rum even, and then finish it for a couple months in a sherry barrel just because the flavors of sherry are so, uh, so potent. Obviously, sherry barrels are, are significantly more expensive. So, you know, aging for several years in a barrel might be a little more prohibitive. In our case... Our brand, for 140 years, the founders started with that Sherry Influence barrel through and through. So we've only known Sherry Barrels, and it's definitely given it a, it, it's, it's a huge part of what our product turns out being.
1: Now, we talked to somebody uh, six months or a year ago who was, I think, in Puerto Rico, but he was finishing in Vermouth, bot- vermouth Barrels.
5: Very interesting. I, I've I've heard um, all sorts of, of barrels. I've heard from wine barrels, okay, all right. to vermouth, to bourbon, scotches, uh, everything, everything you could possibly imagine. Um, there's there's definitely a, there's definitely a sense of creativity and exploration when it comes to when it comes to what what you can finish this rum with. I think the, the the biggest and most important thing is finding something that works for you. Which, again, isn't, isn't as simple as an overnight experiment. It's more you have to let it age for several years. So, you know, if I started experimenting with a vermouth barrel today, I couldn't tell you until maybe four or five years from today how that has an effect on the rum. Um, which is, it's the interesting part. It's the, the slow and steady uh, beauty that is the, the rum and the spirits industry in general, which you have to have an appreciation for brands that have been doing it for so long, just because you you know that they've they've definitely experimented with their fair share of, of formulation.
1: Now the the op, the opposite of the Bacardi, I guess, the white rum is what in my native land is called Navy Rum, and 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 <laughs> Navy, and, rum, and, and Navy yeah. rum is really dark.
5: Yes, definitely uh, definitely way darker,
1: um,
5: and and color is is. I'm sure it's, it's a pretty important point in the rum industry as well, just because as far as regulations go, there, there, there are regulations in terms of, of what rums can be labeled as and not, but let's say they're not so strict, especially when we're dealing with so many different countries. So there are several countries, a lot of traditionally South American, Central American countries, that their rum, when it comes out of the barrel and they have the finished product, they will caramel color the rum to make it even darker. So that's uh, a lot of okay. times said it, bad, so bad, it. So the, the it. rum that looks like Coke and it looks very, very dark. And it's almost, you know, it, it can fool the, 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 naked eye because if you don't know any better, you wouldn't know. Obviously when you taste it, a lot of those sugars and extra from car- caramel yuck. really stand out and it doesn't make as much, you don't appreciate as much the rum that aged for so many years in that barrel. It's, it's almost adulterated in a sense. Um, Fortunately, in in certain uh, certain countries, they're they're I guess enacting different uh, regulations for rums which would prohibit that um, and and make it more of a homogeneous product from the barrel. In ter- in our case, from the barreto doesn't use any kind of additives after it it comes out of the barrel. It comes out, and as it comes out, that's that's the color it is. That's the flavor it is. That's the the beauty of what we do. We've We've, we've done the same practice and had the same formulation for now uh, well over a century, and we've kept that way ever since, even though obviously in the face of the industry and the changing industry, um, it's it's not been anything we've had to, to adapt to or start doing because other companies do it. We've always done the process in our own way, which does not include any kind of caramel or coloring or extra sugar added to the product.
1: Now, somebody that we talked to in, in your, in your business. Although I think, I think it might've been a, 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 a it was a, I think it was a French colony Island that was doing this. And they said, we make our rum from, from sugarcane juice and a lot of people who make rum use molasses. Now what's your take on that? What, what, what do you do? And why do you think it might or might not make a difference?
5: So we have a molasses-based rum, which is more of the Spanish style, okay. and all Puerto Rican rums are molasses-based.
0: Oh, I didn't um, know that. That's interesting.
5: Yep, we, that, which is the traditional connotation of rum. Obviously, the French styles use more of the sugarcane juice that creates more of a rum agricole. It's a way grassier, a lot more exotic flavors in terms of what you're tasting, um... It's it's a little bit different. At the end of the day, both can be considered as rum, uh, what, which again is part of the beauty of the of, of the spirit and of this industry in particular. That there's so many different variations. Um, in our case, we use we use uh, molasses, which creates a more traditional, um, more standard in terms of, of being lighter. It's definitely lighter because our uh, distillation and in in my opinion I, I prefer it but there's you know it's everyone's palate to each their own there's there's people who really enjoy uh, those grassier lighter flavors of a sugarcane distilled rum
1: now wh- wh- where are you these days in terms of what what you're emphasizing with with your product of like a, a sipping whiskey or a, si- a sipping rum versus a cocktail, cocktail with yeah. with rum in it
5: that's a great question, and, and I'm glad you bring it up, because if you look at our product history, ever since 1880, when the brand started, they launched with what was a up to 10-year-old aged rum, which back then wasn't as traditional. It wasn't, you know, people weren't sipping cocktails or weren't, weren't sipping products like that and looking for that elegant aged flavor uh, versus the rest of the Puerto Rican rum industry, which is predominantly, you know, very, very little to no aging uh, white, clear spirit. So what we, we find ourselves in a really interesting position now where the sipping boom has, has really taken off in terms of rums, but you always have to, you know, pay homage to you and respect the fact that rum has become so prominent because of its mixability and it's your ability to put it into a cocktail. Now, I always say if you have a good product You can put it in a cocktail. It will make a fantastic cocktail, and you can sip it, and it will also taste amazing. I think a good product shines uh, through whatever means you serve it in. In our case, we really, really like to reinforce the sipping nature of our rum because, like I say, if you sip a product and you say, this is fantastic, I really enjoy it down to the root as, as, as pure as it comes you can then explore and say, well, these flavors I get from this, therefore it would make a really good uh, old-fashioned. It would really substitute well where, with a uh, uh, drier bourbon, et cetera. So we like to definitely play into both into both categories. I've, I've, some of the best cocktails I've ever had have been made with Rome Metajelito, a lot of times substituting what you'd normally find a bourbon or a whiskey just because of its, its uh, higher proof in nature, its age component, and the really heavy sherry influence.
1: You know what? I I'll, I'll bet a lot. You put you could put your sipping rum in front of someone who was a bourbon drinker, and they probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference.
5: I see it happen you on do, a huh? weekly basis, <laughs> where you know someone will say, "Come in here. We have a visitor center." So we 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 see several. Uh, thousand visitors per year come through and, and a lot of them come in saying, look, I'm not a big rum fan or I just came from another distillery tour and, I'm, you know, where they serve me a lot of white rum in a lot of cocktails. And now here I'm looking at a rum that is being served to me neat. And they tell me I'm a whiskey drinker. I'm a cognac drinker. I'm a bourbon drinker. And they try this and they go, I cannot believe this is rum. And yeah. I hear that regularly. And I'd love to hear that because People are being exposed to the versatility that is the rum category and breaking out of the norm that rum is meant to be mixed with Coke. And they, oh, you know, yeah. it's always. A well, I'm in the category
0: of, of being absolutely amazed at the at the similarity to fine sip, sipping whiskeys. Yeah, absolutely. Point, yeah. yeah, and
5: and a lot of that with our brand dates back to to when the brand was started. So in eighteen
0: before eighteen eighty in Um, You have us all sold, Eduardo, on this rum. So how do people get it?
5: So that's a great question. Uh, We traditionally, the brand had been available in Puerto Rico for several, several decades. Um, With our efforts in the last couple of years, we've been able to bring it to the U.S. market. We're now in about 25 different states um it is very much by allocation and it's not everywhere as uh, even though we wish it could be our production just cannot keep up with the demand that we have right now so we're very uh selective in terms of where the product can be found um but right now we're in most major markets and in traditionally in a lot of uh of the bigger liquor stores and also on premise in terms of some of the the higher-end cocktail and mixology bars
0: yeah you're People can actually come to your tasting room probably and buy it in Puerto Rico,
2: right?
5: Absolutely. In Puerto Rico, <laughs> we're, we're readily available here. We have our visitor center where we welcome uh, visitors uh, every day, and we have a tasting tour where we walk them through all of our products from our two-stars, three-stars, four-stars, and five-stars, and we also have a mixology tour where they can prepare their own cocktails, learn how oh, to make nice. some really fantastic and elegant cocktails here. And both of those tours include um, a a walkthrough of our entire premise, which is uh, here in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, where the brand started in 1880, where we have our aging facilities, our visitor center, and what used to be and continues to be the residence of the Fernandez family that started the brand.
0: Very good. Well, I thank you for talking to us. I hope we can come to see you sometime.
5: Absolutely. You're always welcome down here uh, Puerto Rico. Like we say, mi casa es tu casa. Here at the Hacienda Santana, we would love to welcome you whenever.
1: You okay, well, well w- w- when I run out, I'll come and get some.
5: Please do. Please do. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Thank,
1: thank, thank, thank you so <laughs> thank much, you Eduardo. Thank you so much, Eduardo.
5: Thank you to you both. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Well we hope that that uh, takes some of the edge off <laughs> of our uh, our long stay sheltering in place and uh, I, I guess we'll move on to yet another set of interviews next week same time same place.
1: In the meantime we
0: hope you get you we hope you get your check. Yes <laughs> bye bye.